Across the world since the birth of photography, the portrait studio was an important place in every town, large and small. It was the place to commemorate notable occasions, like a birth, a wedding, or sometimes even a death. These studios could be so small, with just one room and a set of lights or a wall of windows, but it did the job. More and more, these studios seem to be a thing of the past. So what happens when a studio closes? Where do all of those negatives go? Sometimes, they're sold or even destroyed. But if we're lucky, someone saves them and we all benefit. Sometimes, they reveal incredible talent where you wouldn't expect to find it. And other times, they can document the history of an entire town in a shockingly raw and revealing way. This is The Expert Eye. Mike Meyer was born the sixth of seven children in a German immigrant family. He always felt like an outsider. He never really felt like he belonged. He even told people that as a baby, a tornado had lifted him up from places unknown and deposited him at the Meyer family front door. If there's one thing he didn't know, it was that he didn't want to be a farmer like the rest of his family. And to make the point crystal clear, after his mother's death, he had his last name legally changed from Mike Meyer and was henceforth known as Mike Disfarmer. As in, I'm not a farmer in any way, it's even in my name, that's how much I'm not a farmer. When he arrived in Heber Springs, Arkansas after his father's death in 1913, he was already 30 years old and a very eccentric, socially awkward, and very distant person. He built a small photographic studio on the porch of his mother's house. A tornado destroyed her home in 1930, so he built a new studio on Main Street. He was the only game in town and charged around a quarter for a portrait. Locals describe him as an Ichabod-type feller who rode around town on a horse with a camera and tripod at the ready. This probably refers to Ichabod Crane, the main character and protagonist of Washington Irving's famous story, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Ichabod was described in the story this way, tall, but exceedingly lank, with narrow shoulders, long arms and legs, hands that dangled a mile out of his sleeves, feet that might have served for shovels, and his whole frame most loosely hung together. His head was small and flat at the top, with huge ears, large green glassy eyes, and a long snipe nose, so that it looked like a weathercock perched upon his spindle neck to tell which way the wind blew. And indeed, a self-portrait this farmer took shows a man that sort of fits this description. He has hunched shoulders, a very slender nose, white stubble on his chin, big ears, deep-set eyes, a very thin-lipped mouth, and glasses with round, black frames. He's taken off his suspenders for the photograph, revealing two dirty gray impressions in his work shirt. He was a mystery, and when he died, he left a lot of mysteries. He never married or had children, and when he died in 1959, he left no will. A few years after his death, Disfarmer's studio 
was due to be demolished to make way for the new Piggly Wiggly supermarket. Just Farmer's few personal belongings and negatives had been moldering in the studio. Hundreds of boxes of glass plate negatives were purchased by Peter Miller, a local newspaper editor and photographer himself. He began printing the portraits for the newspaper's photo identification contest. Just Farmer's photographs would have faded into history were it not for an article published by Julia Scully in Modern Photography in 1973. And in 1976, a book was published with an accompanying exhibition at the International Center of Photography in New York. The Museum of Modern Art even acquired a number of prints. And of course, after the book and exhibition, just farmer fever really took hold, with dealers and collectors racing to rural Arkansas to track down just farmer prints for their collections. So what was the draw with these photographs? Just farmer didn't use fancy backdrops, just a white wall with a few black guidelines. He posed his subjects mostly facing forward, looking straight at the camera. His subjects were simple people, commemorating a range of life's milestones, from newborn babies, soldiers headed to or from war, and lots of young couples in love. However, the bulk of his most well-known images are people who look like they just came into town on a Saturday night and decided to get their picture taken. And that's exactly what happened. People came to town to see friends and relax after a week of hard work, and they stopped into the studio for a quick photograph. One photo shows a young boy in his father's hat holding an ice cream cone. Another is of two young men wearing denim overalls, flanking a soldier with a cigarette in the corner of his mouth. Each wears a hat that is askew and their eyes are half open. There's no doubt they had been having a few drinks, celebrating with their friend in the service. And while they were destined to remain in Heber Springs, Arkansas, he was heading off to war. These photographs are more than just simple pictures. They're documents of American life in a small town, charting everything from clothing to social behaviors. And while this farmer might not have been a great photographer technically, he really knew how to get a great shot. Maybe he just let people pose how they wanted, and he picked the right moment to just snap the picture. In one of my favorite photographs, an older married couple stands facing the camera with their arms slung over each other's shoulders. The man wears denim overalls cuffed several times at the ankle, covering dirty work boots. The woman wears a floral cotton dress with stains on the skirt and bodice. Their skin is deeply tanned and wrinkled. What gets me is this gesture, the arms over the shoulders, which betrays not only a love between a married couple, but also an amicable relationship in both work and household. And in some ways, this defines what marriage meant to many hardworking couples of the early 20th century. It was a trusting partnership between two people, both pulling their weight to keep the children fed, the animals taken care of, and the farm operating. When this farmer died, his legacy was a lifetime of portraits made for the community of Heber Springs, and his photographs could be found in hundreds of homes. They were cherished by generations. Even though he was a social outsider who was frequently described as kind of off-putting and downright scary, it was through his studio that he could become part of numerous households and family histories. And it was only after his death that people could really appreciate what they had. When you die, unless you leave really clear instructions on what you want done with your things, 
those things just sort of sit there until someone decides what to do with them. And sometimes, even if you have good directions for what you want done, it doesn't matter anyway. Mike DeFarmer worked in Arkansas, but he was really born in southern Indiana, and way up in the northeastern part of that state, there's a county called Huntington. This year, the population of the entire county is only around 35,000 people. The median income per person is about 28,000. Huntington's mostly rural, mostly blue collar, and mostly white. And in all of those ways, it's not that much different from Heber Springs, Arkansas. I grew up in Huntington, and not a whole lot has changed since I was a kid. My parents were born there, and my grandparents were born there. My grandfather, Bill, was the longtime president of the Historical Society. My dad was a member as well, and my brothers and I were also card-carrying junior members. This basically meant that during the meetings in the big, imposing courthouse in the center of town, my brothers and I would explore the quiet, echoing building after dark, scaring each other in the hallways, and playing cars on the marble steps. I'm not sure how this came to happen, but my dad, who's always been a very skilled photographer, took an aerial photograph of Huntington in 1989. And my grandfather, a very enterprising man, made it into a postcard for distribution. There are a few things on the back of the postcard that one should know about Huntington, Indiana. One is the population, which we already covered. And another is that it's known as Petunia City, Although, I never heard anyone say that, and I doubt anyone has any idea. It's a small town with modest people who are farmers and factory workers and car mechanics and grocery store clerks. And just like in Heber Springs, Arkansas, a photo studio is essential. The go-to studio in Huntington, Indiana was Rickert. William Rickert had learned his craft in 1906 in a nearby town. By 1912, he branched out on his own and founded the William F. Rickert Studio in downtown Huntington. I found a photograph of the studio interior taken sometime before 1919, and it shows a very simple space. There's a wall of windows on one side, a big stove to keep clients warm in the winter, a selection of different posing chairs, including a very small one with a doll. There's a rack with different backdrops, and a very large camera on a wooden support. And that's really all you needed at the time to produce simple studio photographs. I remember seeing the Rickert logo in the lower right corner of every studio photograph I saw on the walls of our house. It was just something I always took for granted. And I can't say that I ever really thought that much about the studio until I was in my 20s. And when my dad did something that seemed a little weird at the time, but it turns out that what he had done was very important. In order to get to the bottom of the story, I gave my dad a call to talk about the Ricker studio and how he managed to end up with all their negatives. I just want to ask if you remember anything about the particular photo studio as you grew up. Do I remember any particular, say that again. I mean, do you remember going to the studio when you were a kid? Well, the record studio, yeah, um, yes and no. Um, I know I was there. I know I had a little toy um, dog in my hand and and posed for Mr. Record, but I was probably only about a year and a half or two years old. So, was that sort of the go-to place to get your photos taken? It was the go-to place in Huntington to get your photos taken. I mean, there um, probably weren't a lot of other choices. 
in the late 1800s, early 1900s, there was four or five different studios around Huntington. And those were soon weeded out by the mid-1930s when, when uh, Mr. Uh, Rickert um, became, or, you know, was really clearly the best photographer. And then his son, Robert, or, or Bob, um, took over when he retired. So Bob had, or my family had taken me and my sister in to have our portraits taken when we were quite little. But that was by Bill. That was by Bob Rickert. Oh, Bob. Okay. Yeah. So by then, which Bill would have been had, in the early fifties. Okay, Bill had already retired. Mm -hmm. I mean, he would have been fairly old at that point. Right. And then, um, no, I don't really remember the studio then, but I had my high school senior pictures taken then, and I just remembered the building was kind of small. But how much room do you need for, you know, a picture of your, with your. Um, head turned a little bit to the right and then you move the lighting in your picture with your head turned a little bit to the left. And that's about all we did for senior pictures back then. And unlike what was going on in the nineties and, and right. early two thousands. But anyway, um, Susan had her pictures taken. And then it, again, when she was a young adult, she had uh, Bob uh, take, uh, on location pictures, which were pretty cool. And our wedding was uh, photographed by Bob Rickert, my own wedding. How did these negatives get to you? Yeah, through um, a brother of a mutual friend of, of uh, my wife and I. Um, he knew me and called me one day and says, how do I burn negatives and get the silver out of them? What? And he says, I have no idea. And he says, well, I want to burn them. And I know there's a process. And I said, yes, I know there's a process too. But what are we talking about before you go any farther? Why would you want to burn negatives? Well, they've been in my, um, my building that I bought and forever. And uh, I want to get rid of them. And I go, are you talking about the record negatives? And he goes, yeah. And I go, don't do anything. When can I meet you? So I met him down at the at uh, Rickert's uh, newest studio that he had before he retired. Um, and I remember uh, that building. The, yeah, it's this, sort of a yeah. caramel uh, colored brick building. Something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so he had bought that building and and um, just a, a little extension of that story. When he, when Bob Rickert retired, he sold it to a person from Michigan who, who was living in Huntington at the time and wanted to open a studio and he bought Rickert studio. Um, he couldn't really make a go of it. He wasn't all that great, but uh, he started selling off things on his own and he would put negatives out in prints and things like that and have people come in and, and buy them individually because he had to make some money some way. When was this? So a lot of a lot of this had been, um, yeah, picked through and gone over, and a lot of things missing. Uh, by the time um, that person left town, he just left town and left everything behind, and then uh, our friend Joe bought the building, and and I had no idea that all that was left behind. So what year was that? That would have been in the um, very early two thousands. So did you just agree to take them off his hands? I, I tried to take them off of his hands, but he would only sell them. 
Oh, wow. And I said, well, you were prepared to burn them. And he goes, well, but I wanted to get the money out of them. So I, I purchased about ten to 12,000 negatives for uh, $300. And that equaled about four or five pickup truck loads. Oh, wow. Which ended up in our back garage here at our home. When you came home and told mom... <laughs> that you had several pickup truck full of negatives to yeah. home and put in the basement. What was her reaction? I, I kind of think that she thought it was just a, a me thing. Cause I would do things like that. <laughs> and I brought home a log cabin once. And, and but anyway, uh, yeah, she was, she was very helpful and, and helped me uh, load the trailers and help me unload the trailers and the file cabinets. And Yeah. It was it was a it was a couple of afternoons worth of work of just loading and unloading. Was your ammo here? I mean, you what was I'm you sorry. rushed down to yes. get the negatives, not wanting him to burn them. And Absolutely, because he, he told me that if I didn't take them, they were going to be gone one way or another by the weekend. Right, and then you put them in your basement. But like, what was your long term goal for the for the negatives? At that time, I don't know. They just had to be preserved. They're, they're a treasure of Huntington. Um, I wasn't aware that I, I, I was aware of what was in there or should have been in there. I wasn't aware of how much they had been picked over, but still, they were a treasure. We've got so many pictures of Huntington and people and lifestyle, and it just had to be saved. Okay, so then you were getting calls from people saying, do you have money? Not rushing in, but yeah, I I would get calls from time to time from many, many states. Either their their grandpa died and and, um, they knew that he had his picture taken at at the Rickert um, studio because he was from Huntington and could I help him? And I did have a couple logbooks that I could look up and, and find most people and make prints for them. Of, of what they needed or my mom and dad was married there you know in Huntington and I know Mr. Rickert did their photography so could you give us a picture of mom and dad's wedding so <laughs> you weren't like giving that. out the negatives you were making copy you're I was you were I making was contact prints I was making contact prints yeah was there ever an instance where you uh, gave someone the negatives mm-hmm. yeah I would um, I really didn't, I, I was given advice that I should sell them, but I really didn't want to. If they would pay for the postage, I would send them their negatives of, of whatever they wanted for their family. So if somebody called and said, I'm looking for the wedding photographs of my parents, how did you even find them in piles of negatives that you had? Um, Mr. Rickard had a wonderful log system. However, out of the four or five logbooks, I only had two. <laughs> so sometimes it worked. And sometimes I just would go out there for an hour or longer and just go through, you know, they were they were still kind of in by years. They didn't get so mixed up that they, you know, they were still in years. So I would just go through hundreds and hundreds of negatives one by one by one, looking at the sleeves and seeing what names on there and most of the time I'd be successful. 
And I really didn't. Sometimes after that, I started charging a finding fee a little bit. You know, it's like 10 bucks or something. Well, yeah, I'm sure it took forever to go through. A lot of times that. it took forever. <laughs> we um, even found our wedding pictures. Um, we didn't have, at that time, we couldn't afford to buy the pictures uh, very many. We only bought a couple pictures from Mr. Rickard. So the whole package was there, and I was able to print my own, our own wedding. And so we've got all our own wedding pictures. Now. But that's funny that after all those years, you finally got them back. They just. Mm -hmm. But oh my gosh, there's ours. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to them after they've been living in your somewhat larger storage space? I was under a little and sometimes not so little um, pressure to find a new home for them <laughs> <laughs> because they took up so much of our garage. Um, and one day somebody did call from Fort Wayne. He had, he was a former Huntington resident and he knew about our, me having the negatives. Somehow he found out and gave me a call and uh, came down to look at, look at the scope of it all. And he wanted to take possession of them. I don't remember the exact reason. I know he was a historian. I know he wanted to actually do something with them and, and, and promising that he would uh, definitely take good care of them. So I said, yes, I, I can sell them to him. And he says, no, I don't have any money. And I gave them to him. Oh, wow. Uh, I wouldn't deliver them, though. So he made the, the five pickup truck runs to Fort Wayne <laughs> with them. So, so you must have trusted him, they, you know, that, that well, he was yeah. going to take good care of them. Otherwise, you wouldn't have agreed to it. Well, yeah, that's absolutely true. But um, only recently, um, probably three months ago, I got a call from the Huntington County Historical Society that said, we're in possession of some negatives, a very, very large collection of negatives. And... We thought maybe you could come down here and, and look at them and tell us what we could do with them. Oh, my God. And, and I said, did these happen to come from Fort Wayne? And she said, yes. And she was so excited about getting them and and how, how much work it was and trying to find a place in the museum just, just to store them. And I said, would it happen to be the record, the old record studio negatives? And she said, yes, they are. And I said, oh, oh good. my God, I'm glad that they're still, you know. And I asked her what condition. She goes, they're still in good condition. However, there's a lot of cat hair all over because the <laughs> cats used to sleep in the negative boxes <laughs> or on top of the negative boxes. The Rickert Studio photographs took a long time to get back to where they were meant to be. A museum that could house and care for them and to make sure that they're preserved for generations to come. Because they are important. They represent a place. The people that live there what they wore, what they celebrated, and what they valued. Many of these photographs look really standard at first glance. But looking again, they're much more than face value. Preserving portraits is a gesture of love. William and Robert Rickert may not have been as well-known as Mike Disfarmer, but their work is no less valuable. This episode was written by me, Amy Flieger, and edited by Yvonne Soro in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. My interview with Alan Flieger took place over Zoom in August 2021. Go to our website, theexperteye.org, 
to find photographs by Mike Disfarmer and the Rickert Studio, as well as some great photographs by my dad, Alan. And until next time, Google cautiously, blacklight judiciously, and do not handle prints under the influence of intoxicants.